Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. This is the last part that we'll read tonight. Uh, We'll speak tonight on uh, Richard Sibbs' teaching. Uh, We've done it, we started before Christmas and then we started on it in the new year again. uh, The the message was called, we've called it uh, a response of heart. Richard Sibbs calls it uh, uh, seeker. Or, or the, I can't remember, I've even missed the words there, I think it was called uh, the honest seeker, or the faithful seeker, I think it was called. But anyway, let me, before I get here, uh, I'm going to read for the Valley of Vision, a prayer. Uh, and I know I read for another prayer book, but the reason I'm reading for this is, uh, there's one of the books that I read for in the prayers that some of you don't have. I know you bring books and you're wondering, so I'm going to read predominantly for the two of them until you catch up with the other one. Know that, know that it matters, but sometimes it helps that if you get a book. Well, this is a phenomenal prayer. I'd love to know who wrote it, but I suppose it doesn't matter. But it's uh, the prayer's called Victory, and it's in page it's in page 99, 98, and 99 of the Valley of Vision. If you've got the wee posh one, uh, if you've got the if you get if you've got the pauper's paper one, no, I'm only kidding. It doesn't matter what one you've got, you know. Uh, if you've got the if you've got the paper back, it's page fifty-five. It's entitled uh, "Victory." Let me uh, read it. It's or no, or pray it, whatever you want to say. O divine redeemer, great was thy goodness in undertaking my redemption and consenting to me to be made sin for me and conquering. All my foes, great was thy strength in enduring the extremities of divine wrath and taking away the load of my iniquities. Great was thy love in manifesting thyself alive and showing thy sacred wounds that every fear might vanish and every doubt be removed. Great was thy mercy in ascending to heaven and being crowned and enthroned there to intercede for me, there to succor me in temptation, there to open the eternal book, there to receive me finally to thyself. Great was thy wisdom in devising this means of salvation. Bathe my soul in rich consolation of thy resurrection life. Great was thy grace in commanding me to come hand in hand with thee to the Father, to be knit to him eternally, to discover in him my rest to find in him my peace, to behold his glory, to honour him who is alone worthy and given me the spirit as teacher, guide, power, that I may live repenting of sin, conquer Satan, find victory in life. When thou art absent, all my sorrows are here. See this bit at the end? It really is just captures where we're going to talk about the night. When thou art absent, all my sorrows are here. When thou art present, all blessings are mine. Amen. Well, as it says, we're reading from Richard Sibbs, his, his sermons, and from Psalm 27, 8, that Sibbs uses, and I'll, I'll just share the, the, the verse in Psalm 27. It says, when you said, and this is a Psalm of David, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, 
I will seek. The scripture starts with David telling us first of what God commands him to do and us to do. Seek his face. And the second part is David's obedience to that command. My heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. At the last meeting we spoke of how it's both our privilege and a must that we seek God and come boldly but humbly to the throne room of grace. You have the privilege of that. We have access along with the saints that who went before us. We are partakers with the saints, as Calvin says in his, his TULIP acronym, the P, the partakers with saints. Uh, Sibs writes, all truths are eternal truths. They die not as men do. David is dead and Moses is dead, but the truth is not dead. Seek ye my face. Paul is gone. Peter is gone. We are the Davids and the Moses and the Peters and the Pauls. Those truths that were good for them are good for us. End quote. I said last time, I think sometimes we think we don't have that access to God. We, we do. I'm sure Moses, David, Peter, Paul, and this is what I said. Ringo. No, oh, no, can't just... All at times could have, you say that lot and you're always going to think that, aren't you? Uh, all at times could, well, I do anyway. All at times said, I'm unworthy of seeking you, but it's a privilege. It's a right for us to seek him. Since Christ, we've got Christ, we have got access through his righteousness, not our own. And this is why we can come to the throne room of grace with boldness, Hebrews 4.16. We do not need to threat about coming to God, uh, yes, humbly, but boldly, too often, I think, and I said this in the last meeting, we allow our flesh, our sin, to say, oh, I must not, or I cannot, or, no, you hear people saying, I need to get myself in a better place first, uh, a more holy place. Yet God's word tells us, and Sibs quotes it in his sermon, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not just that we can come to God, we must Go to him and seek him lest we carry our burdens and our sins around ourselves. And I'm going to get into that a bit more. Sibs writes, there is no such comfort for men who carry that sin wittingly uh, and willingly. You ever notice that? See when you just carry things about, your sin, your burdens, and you just willingly carry them about, you don't get any respite. No respite indeed. The Lord will simply allow you to carry the wrath of your own disobedience. Yet we don't need to. Sibs goes on and talks of our lack of obedience. And he does this in, there's two sermons it says, and he does this uh, for quite a, quite a part of the sermon, you know. And the sermon, because it's written, it's, it's, it's intensive in how much he talks about the disobedience, which we won't get into fully. Uh, we're going to share some of Sibs tonight, but I'm going to open up and share other things as well. Uh, this is what Sib says, dishonouring God and his bounty. His bounty meaning in which he's purchased for us. He says, there is no such comfort for men who carry that sin wittingly and willingly. Isn't that sobering? He then adds this, heart melting beautiful truth. What is the end of the ministry but spread before us the unsearchable riches of Christ? They are yours, talking to believers, if you will take them. 
As I prepared and actually was talking to Fraser this morning of, of this, and this is a good thing when you spend time with brothers in Christ during the day, is that on Sunday we didn't have much time to fully share the final verse of chapter 2 and uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16, but it's very fitting for this. As I say, it doesn't matter. I'd, I'll find, honestly, I'll find Corinthians in it. I'll find it in cornflakes. You know what I mean? But just, it's everything. It's everywhere. And, but it's really fitting for this. And uh, I, may be, I may share more on Sunday if we get into it before we get into chapter 3. I don't know yet. Uh, let me read it anyway. This is 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And Paul here is letting the Corinth church know, and no, what I'm going to share here will tie in with what Sibs is writing about as well. Paul here is letting the Corinth church know that man's wisdom, man's ways, man's flesh cannot know God. We know that, we've been speaking about it for weeks. But we who believe know God, because we have his spirit. Okay, let me just tie in these things together. Uh, spirit with spirit, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians 2. When we live by the flesh, by carnal thoughts, feelings, we no longer take counsel from God, from the Holy Spirit. We, like the world, start to dictate what truth is because we are living carnally like the world. Have you ever had an atheist or worldly person Maybe even a worldly, lovely... What a worldly, lovely people now, aren't they? They just seem to know everything about God. And they, they seem to have this ability now to tell you how wrong you are about the God they don't know. I mean, that happens all the time, doesn't it? You know, I, I get it all the time. Where you, people are you don't know God, they don't serve God, but they, they, they're, they're, they want to tell me how wrong I'm about the God that they don't know. The God that they don't believe in. The God that is of scripture, they don't know because it's only the spirit that can lead them to that. And they say, God is not a God of this, but a God of acceptance. Um, he doesn't care about X, Y, Z. You know, it's like, it always starts with this, God loves everybody, even gays and this and that. And uh, Yeah, he does. But that's just half the story. You know, it's always like, no, I was just reading Andy Stanley's getting, he's, he's trending and now a lot of stuff. He's gone really rogue with this stuff uh, that he's saying that gays and homosexuals are, they've got more faith than him because why would a gay person still want to come to church considering the amount of abuse they get? That's that, and then he goes down that road, it's, it's heavy duty. Anyway. And what happens is they don't know God. Obviously, they don't know God, and this scripture is saying that. That is the world instructing God. The world is instructing God. Andy Stanley's instructing God. The church in Corinth were starting to instruct God. When, you, when we as believers are disobedient, we're not talking about as unbelievers, but as believers when we're disobedient, we then start to instruct God. That's what you're actually doing. You're actually instructing God. And what instructing Christ, instructing the Lord, what he needs to do. Uh, because they don't know him. It's different when they don't know him. But when we know him, we have the mind of Christ. We both understand the mind of Christ. And we know God and we know truth. So in effect, 
we have no excuse for not taking all our baggage to God. No excuse. The world, they've got million excuses, but we've no excuse. Yet when we do not, we in turn start to become the counsellors to God rather than being counselled by God. You've maybe not thought about that though, that you're thinking, how, how am I counselling God? If you're a believer and Christ is in you, and you're being disobedient to Christ, and you're saying, I'm not doing that, I'm doing that. You're literally dragging Christ with you into your drama. Think about it that way. Now, it's not that God, no, it's not that God will sin, but listen, who's in is greater as he is what? And is in the world. So when we say no to that, we're literally dragging, bringing Christ and saying, no, 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 I will, I'm bringing you into this situation. It's not that he will be led by our flesh, but it's that because we have Christ in us, we are trying to lead him by ignoring his guidance. I know you might not think that when you go, ah, but it's not that, no, what I was saying on Sunday, ah, but it's not that, or you're not listening, or, or you know, have, have you ever knew it's no right and it's time to shut up? Just me. Do you ever know it's right? Just go, it's time now to be quiet. It's time, do you ever know, do you ever in this, so, sorry, I'm just going to tell you about me here, but are you ever in an argument that you know is going to end so you'd be better ending it now, but you don't? Does any of you know what I'm talking about there? You know, you know, you, you know it's going to end up, you're going to make up and everyone's going to be fine. Right? You, know, you know you're not going to stay angry. You're in the place that you know you're not going to stay angry. But you still don't stop. Is any of you what I'm talking Is it just me? It's like, no, I'm not saying I'm like that all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm an overcomer now, but no, but... You're in it and you know it's going to end. Because you know, look, I know, but because you're a, you're a believer, you're going to forgive, you're going to move on, you're going to switch on, you're not going to be a psycho anymore. Right? You know you're not going to be a psycho forever. But you're in that stubborn place where you're saying, I know, but I still want to be one to know. And you still won't quit. Do you know what that is? That's you counselling God to become fleshy and you dragging them into your battle and saying, I don't want you to be that to me, Christ. I want, I want you to come. Do you get what I'm saying? Trying to lead him by ignoring his guidance. But we think, oh, well, I'm not really leading him. Can you be apart from Christ? Can you be separated from Christ? So you're having to drag him into it. Think about it. I know, I know, I know we could go off the and you could, we could talk about that and go, ah, but it's this, but that's really what you're doing. You've got to drag Christ into your battle. The word of God is under such attack today because believers are taking the lead and now counselling God. God's know that. God's know that. I don't believe God's that. I, I'm not born what you believe about what God does. What does the word say? They are dictating who God is outside his word. The Corinth church were swapping Paul's message that was fully led by the Holy Spirit and bringing man's wisdom into the church and calling it God. It was not then and it's, it's not now. Which is why I mentioned this as it ties in with Sibs to the point. Again, I repeat Sibs. There is no such comfort for men who carry that sin wittingly. And willingly, he adds, has God not been made so bountiful as to give us many instructions 
and such promises? And shall we not make them our own? You have to make his instruction our own. By taking all we are, warts and all, to him. Lest we start to dictate another truth to God. Now you might think you're not dictating another truth to God. But see if you're a believer. And Jesus says he'll never whip. Leave you or forsake you. Does that mean he leaves you then? No, that means he's going to put up with it. I know you don't think like that, but think about it that way. Think of what you're making Jesus put up with. That's a tough, that's a tough thought, isn't it? Meditating that for a minute. Meditating that when you're in full-blown sin. Meditate who's in your presence when you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. A bit sobering, don't you think? Sometimes it's quite good if you're a wee bit further away. You don't see the Adam's apple, Galtman men. <laughs> For a believer, no, to come boldly to Christ, to no say, and women, they don't have an Adam's apple. But some, some, I know a lot of women I have, seemingly, they know. <laughs> so that's one thing they're not getting ready, eh? No operation to get ready of that one. For, <laughs> maybe there is. Good. What a state that would be in. Isn't it? I'm lucky if I want a bandage on my, fat, on my thumb. Never mind an Adam's apple ripped out my neck. I mean, you need to be mentally no well to want that. I think I'm a woman. Rip this Adam's apple right out my neck. We're only at the Adam's apple. We've no went anywhere else. I mean, you've got to be mentally no well to want to do that. Let's face it. I know this will be hate speech shortly, but it's true. No trying to make a f it's, it's that insane. <laughs> Isn't it? They can't cope with getting an ice cream ripped to her horn. Never mind an Adam's apple. <laughs> I can assure you these are near my notes. For, <laughs> for a believer not to come boldly to Christ is to say, Yes, Lord, my heart will not seek you. It's like dragging Jesus around by the arm while we wallow in our sin and disobedience. Because if he's in us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us as a believer, what's he having to put up with? He just shut his eyes and go, la, 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 I'm not listening. Or are we dragging him into the miry stuff? I mean, you meditate on that and you're meditating that before you do the next thing and you'll be like, oh, I think I'll have a wee think about that. We have the mind of Christ, yet we walk in the flesh and when that flesh overtakes us by our lack of seeking, we then in turn start, as it were, instructing Christ rather than being instructed by him. And I mean instructing Christ, our flesh instructing him. So we have subject the Holy Spirit and we have we grieve the Holy Spirit. We heard just talking about that in the prayer meeting a while, but we grieve the Holy Spirit greatly by subjecting them through our disobedience. This is why we must say, yes, Lord, my heart will seek you, else our flesh will control us. David seems to have this continued ongoing battle, and this is where I'm going to go in the time it's left. And I, I, David's got this ongoing battle through, it seems to be through his life, or maybe known so much in his early life, but it started to come through his life, and he's got this battle, uh, 
where people in situations overtake him, you'll probably be, hopefully you'll be encouraged with this. I, I, I find this very encouraging, sobering at first, but it's a great ending. No, bear with me. It's a great ending. It's a wee bit ouchy in the middle, but a brilliant ending. Uh, and David seems to have this going on. I was, I was talking again to my brother Fraser the day, and uh, I'll be very brief. I was at a, we were at a conference, and the question was asked in the conference. You've probably heard me telling this story before, so I'll be very brief. So we were at a conference, a banner conference, and it was a kind of asking questions. I never think that's a good idea. It can go anywhere there. If you can find it hard to control it if somebody starts talking nonsense. Do you know what I mean? So uh, anyway, the question was this, and it was a good enough question. How do you teach one of your congregation members if they're not hearing for God anymore? That was the question. And uh, there were varied answers, predominantly theological deep theological answers and, and, and I can answer the question and I just says, I says, the first thing I ask the person is, uh, who have you fell out with? Honestly, you, I, I said it at the time and I've said it again if you've heard it before, you'd think I invented fire. <laughs> I was like, the first question I ask somebody is if they don't feel as if they're present in God and they're not hearing from God, the first question I ask is, who have they fell out with? You know, but that wasn't theological enough. And for, honestly, they didn't get it. This will help you get it, this verse here. So, turn me to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. This is a great example of David's battle. And I'm sure you'll surely identify with this. You're maybe wondering, where are we coming from here? Lord, I will seek your face. It will tie in. This is how John MacArthur introduces the psalm in his study Bible. So, you've got a John MacArthur study Bible. You can read it uh, here. Uh, this is what he says. These lines, talking about this psalm, Psalm 13, these lines reintroduce the familiar triangle of the psalmist being David, his God and his enemies. This three-way relationship produces perplexity and pain. In view of God's absence, he seems left to his own resources, which are unable to deal with the realities of enemies, end quote. That's how MacArthur introduces these amazing six verses in this psalm. Those enemies of a lad here are not all people. Yeah, although it doesn't say that in the, in the psalm, but we can relate that not all enemies are people. It can be our thoughts, it can be our emotions. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be physical person. It can be our feelings, our weaknesses. They're enemies. Anything that the enemy uses to, to lessen God. Uh, let me read the psalm, uh, Psalm 13, 26. How long, O Lord, this is David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You see how desperate, how long will you forget for me forever? Do you see how dysfunctional he is? This, see this, I could spend six months in this. How long will you forget me forever? No, I mean, it doesn't even make sense that itself. It's almost emotional, that statement. And it? it's like, you wouldn't say, how long will you forget me? You, would, you wouldn't say, that, that makes sense. How long will you forget me? Forever. It can almost tell you the state that David's mind is at this moment. You'll know of me forever. <laughs> you know that stuff, it's, it goes mental. How long will you hide your face from me? Remember the psalm that we're in? As I will seek your face. Right, just to let you know. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Do you see the emotional state that David's in? How long, and do you know why he's in this state? Would you hear why he's in this state? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? 
He's no coping with pain. He's no coping with rejection. He's no coping with not being loved. He's no coping with enemies. You can add whatever enemy you have yourself in your own life. How long will my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So we'll spend most time here. That well, What time we've got left. Here we see the emotions and the flesh of David. Being totally unable to cope with pain, attack, enemies, his feelings. He sees God as abandoning him. Where's God? Well, there's only one part that you need to say what's going on in these first two verses. Where's God? Do you know where God is? Simply, no being sought. That's all. God's no went anywhere. He's just no being sought. That's it. He's no being sought because David is overwhelmed by his fears, his feelings, his flesh, his pain, his rejection, his abandonment, his fear. That's why he's not been sought. He's overwhelmed by his flesh. And then that he says, where are you? But God hasn't went anywhere. It's David's flesh that's taking over. Yet then he says, and you will read this a lot in the Psalms. In fact, you can you can be many characters in the Bible. Peter would be classic. No, you'll never wash my feet. I'll I'll die with you, Jesus. And then he follows Jesus for a distance when people and situations overwhelm him. Sought and followed from a distance, but when fear took over and flesh took over, or the opposite way about. David in the first two verses is hopeless. Even saying God you're... Even saying... Remember the verse we're in is... Uh, the chapter we're in is... Psalm 27. God said to me, seek your face. And David says, my heart said, I'll seek your face. Now he's here just prior to this saying... God's hiding his face for him. But he's not. I have to cut David a bit of slack here for a, a moment... Just because it's Spurgeon, this is what Spurgeon points out. And they sat in, have you ever heard the, 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 what's all that, David? The Treasury of David, if you've not read it. I, I love it. Uh, I'm growing to love it even more. Uh, Spurgeon points out, it's, it's a long assault, not a moment's feeling of pain for David. This is what Spurgeon says. It's not under the sharpest, but the longest trials that we are in most danger of fainting. End quote. That's brilliant, isn't it? Doesn't apply to some of Some like that. No, I don't even need any length. I just need instant pain, instant devastation. No, it's, it doesn't even need to be a long trial with me. It just, I can change like the wind. Be a statement. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it doesn't even need to be a long pursuit here. So, this is why I'm saying cut David a bit of slack. It was a lot of pain. It was a lot of attack. It was, it was years and years and years of enemies coming against David. Having to hide in caves and having to be attacked there. And his son turning against him and enemies turning against him. It was, a, it was an ongoing assault. 
No, for us, our summy is it's the salt doesn't eat even be that long. In fact, you could have a wonderful morning and that's all, and all bets are off in one look. You're like, what happened? Was that a long gone assault? No. They just said that. I mean, it can be that simple. How quick are some of us to lose and all means of strength and trust from the least amount of sharpness. David was pressed and pursued for years. Job was, you know, see if you ever hear anybody talking about Job saying he was very disobedient. You're like, what? You fell out with five folk at a look. A look. No, a look. A look. As soon as David, from verse 3, once again refocuses in God, or we could say his heart said, as soon as David's changed his heart, instead he's saying, God, you're hiding your face from me, to changing his heart to saying, God, my heart said I'll seek your face, it's not a game changer what starts to happen to David. It's a total game changer. He had a newfound zeal. Gratitude came in. Notice the difference when he sought God and realised it was not God who was hiding his face from him, but how his heart was clouded by his pain and his own agenda and his own issues. Verse 3 and 4 again. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. This is phenomenal. See that last verse? Honestly, I'd love to just spend forever in it. Just, just saturate yourself in it. And I'll explain something in a minute. His heart starts seeking him again, as you know, as I've said. And he's now back having communion with God. More than that. He's no longer obsessing. Over his trials. Or his enemies. Or his pain. He stopped obsessing over himself. And started obsessing about God. That's how you overcome, eh? People are, I tried to pray, but it never went away. You weren't obsessing with God. You never sought him with your heart. It was a token hello. <laughs> Nobody says at the end of verse 4, listen to this. This is sobering. Lest my enemies rejoice when I'm moved. Let me say, brothers and sisters, see me, you have a meltdown and you continue to have a meltdown. Enemies rejoice at your hopelessness. Totally rejoice. Because in their heart they're saying, obviously God's not that good. He can't even seem to, he can't even fix you. He can't even help you in your situation. So see, I could spend weeks and half a verse. Profound in so many levels. The enemy, the devil loves that we are so shaken that we cannot seek God. They rejoice they rejoice in our unwillingness or in our iniquity. They enjoy, they rejoice in our weakness. Yeah. They absolutely rejoice. David here has shifted in two verses of prayer to God help me be strong so I don't feel pain. To God help me trust you that your name never be weakened. It's not the same. Do you see that? In the first instance, 
David saying, help me be strong. Help me be strong so I don't feel pain. And as he continues to seek God and seek his face with all his heart, it really shifts. Because now he's not really caring about himself. He's saying, I'm making you look bad. It's no longer, this is how you make me feel. This is how you make me feel. This is what you're no doing for me. Two. God, help me to deal with it so that I don't weaken you. Help me trust you that your name may not be weakened by them who mock. Let my life in you reflect your power. The shift continues. He now moves on to seeing how hopeless he is without God. This is where he moves on to in verse 5 and 6. And how it's all the work of his mercy, his goodness. So what can man do to me? Trust is back. Why is trust come back? Because his heart is now seeking God's face. Verse 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Verse 6, I will sing. Oh, he's back singing. He's back singing. He's there. He's singing. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully. See that word bountifully? We've been talking about it. That's, that's that bountifully that we talk about. That's what Sib shares in the other verse. Bountifully. He's paid the price. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's dealt gracious with me. He's been merciful to me. It's no longer anymore about what people are doing to him. He's got a God who's greater than what people are doing to him. Or how he feels. David's heart once again sings because he is full of what? Gratitude. It's dead hard to be full of gratitude when you're obsessing what people think about you. Okay, How grateful are you? Well, at the moment, I'm no born about grateful. I'm demanding attention. It's hard to be grateful. When you're needy. And needy in the wrong way I mean. David's heart once again sings. Because he's full of gratitude. For what God has forgiven him for. And took him away from. And gave him what he does need to deserve. Grace and mercy. He's not leaning on himself. Or his flesh. Or allowing anything to be. Overtake him. Because he's back relying on God. And as John MacArthur calls it. Depending on divine deliverance, end quote. Is that not amazing? When you trust in God, you're no longer depending on somebody doing something or no doing something to you. But you're depending on divine deliverance. You're putting him in charge here. Spurgeon writes in the Psalms of David about these verses. Prayer helps towards the increase and growth of grace by drawing the habits of grace into exercise. End quote. It's helped us remember his grace. What we've been forgiven for. See, the, the modern, modern psychology and modern stuff is, 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 is really warped. It's upside down. It truly is upside down. I heard Abner Chow, uh, the, he's one of the, the professors at Grace Community Church, and he just says, when this is the, the guide of everything, Everything's just broken. It's just wrong. It just doesn't fit. It's just wrong. And it says prayer helps us towards increase in growth and grace by drowning the habits of grace 
any exercise. We've got it wrong because the world teaches that if you get strong, people won't hurt you the same. It's an attack on the gospel message of grace. The gospel message of grace says you're totally weak and hopeless and pathetic. And I still loved you and saved you. And that's all you need to trust. It's a whole different message. When we were weak, he was. And when we are strong, we're weak. It's hard to see and draw from the grace and mercy in which we have received when we're overwhelmed by the flesh and self. It's very hard to have a pity party and have gratitude at the same time. Have you ever noticed people that lose all their joy? They've also lost all gratitude. They've just forgot. They forgot their starting point. Don't you think? You're like, you forgot your starting point. You forgot where you would be if it wasn't for God's grace. Prayer brings us back to the place of both utter hopelessness, but at the same time, trust and gratitude. I could simply just keep reading Spurgeon on this, honestly. I'll add this. But by the time he has exercised himself a little in duty, i.e. prayer, his distemper wears off. Does this no harm? The mists scatter. And his faith breaks out as the sun in its strength. End quote. That, that's just poetic there, isn't it? I'll say it again. But by the time he has exercised himself a little in the duty, meaning prayer and seeking God's face, his distemper wears off. His angst, his, his worries, his concerns, his self-obsession wears off. The mist scatters. You start to see clearly. It's no longer about David. Oh, the enemies are scattered. Their enemies are everywhere. They, they'll give me a minute's peace. And you're not even bothering about me, God. And amongst it, you've deserted me as well. And everything's terrible. But you start praying and you go, it starts to wear off and you start to get a bit of clarity and you start saying, as a believer, who am I to think I won't have enemies? Who am I to think that everybody should treat me perfect? Who am I to think that I won't have this going on? And the mid scatters and faith breaks out as the sun in its strength, end quote. When our hearts respond to God to seek his face, we change. We have a renewed strength. We change from woe is me to great is he. That's what happens. How is it? Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. All right, okay. Go and seek God. Come back. What's up with you? Great is he. All right, so it's no woe is me anymore. Oh, but I want to stay in woe is me. <laughs> from hopelessness, from self-will to his will, from selfish concern to declaring his glory. The more time we spend in God's presence, this is what David's happened. You get through the process. He's neglected, he's rejected, it's unfair, it's terrible. God's not even helping him out with this nightmare. And then as he walks through the process, he ends up bringing glory to God and only being concerned about honouring God. What is true fear? What's true despair? What's true depression? Really? I know we've got a million things that's causing, we call it the day, you know, it's, it's always an easy out and I'm not trying to belittle it and no say it's real. What is true depression? 
What's a true, what's a true lack of trust? Tell you what it is, and every human being, regardless of who they are, it's a total loss of deep gratitude and obedience to the Lord. That's what it is. A total loss of deep gratitude and obedience to the Lord. And people go, well, ah, but I'm in a situation and so is David. No. See if you line up your, there's not, ah, ah, you cannot line up any of your situations and line it up with the saints or the man, the, the, the wonderful biography that Andrew done on Sunday and say, you know what, mine's is worse. Mine's is much worse. In fact, mine's is worse than Jesus. I mean, but it's to lose a great gratitude and obedience to the Lord. What makes enemies rejoice? What makes enemies rejoice? What make God seem weak? How are we able to make God seem weak? Do you know what it is? It's that we fold. We fold. And we walk not worthy of our calling. It's that we don't have a testimony that says, my God is enough. That's it. And when David says, God help me overcome so that they don't belittle you by my weakness. Sometimes we need to think about that when we're not overcoming or we're quitting or we should be over, we should be dealing with stuff that we're not dealing with and you're going, who are we representing here? Who are we ambassadors of? Do we think we're no God's ambassadors as believers? How can we be good ambassadors, faithful servants, trusted men? If we seek him not, back to Sib. Sib says this in his sermon. We'll bring this in. That when David prayed, thy face will I seek. His heart was weary and pliable. And now as God would have it. He's now serving God. He's back allowing God to work in his heart. He goes on and then says this profoundly. Uh, th this is profound. God have none to fight his battles against Satan and his kingdom of darkness, but voluntaries. All of God's people are voluntaries. They are not pressed soldiers. I mean, not against their wills in that sense, end quote. Sibs furnishes this difficult statement by saying this, knowing it's a difficult one and one that could be took out of context, he says this, our obedience to God, it must be pliable and cheerful and voluntary. End quote. God's face was never out of sight or out of reach of David. It was David's sight that was clouded by his own issues, his own agenda, his own fears. That wasn't he reaching out to God. Yet when he did, he became a willing vessel to be used by God to what? Defeat his enemies. Who's God using today to defeat enemies? Himself. This is a challenging thing that Sib says, isn't it? It's quite left brain, isn't it? No? Us? Got to say something there that just came out of my head. Somebody's kind of fight away out of a wet paper bag, can't you know, when you're full of issues? 
Well, I can't be anything now. I've got too much issues. I've got too much agenda. Too weak. I can't be a volunteer for God. I'll get took out of the first. I'll get took out of the first sniffle. The first no like. The first praise of another human being and no me. The first no being considered. The first no being sent to the attention. The first criticism. The first praise of another. The least amount of truth spoke to my life. I mean, I'm already out. I'm out, God. And Sib says a lot more about this, and I think it's astounding, really. I'm out. What were you out for? I needed you. You're not a pressed soldier. When David sought God, David became an ambassador of God and his strength and his power and his ways, as Daniel did, as you could get through the whole lot. But we can fold so quickly, wallowing in it. Yet when David did, he became a willing vessel to be used by God to defeat his enemies. And how did he defeat the enemies? By bringing glory to God, no matter what the situation was in. And this is why we must say at all times, no matter the trial, no matter the pain, or the dart, or the flesh, Lord, I'll seek your face. Use me as your servant to defend you and honour you. You know, there's many believers, this seems, and I know we all go through stuff. Do you know there are many believers got a lot less overcoming abilities than non-believers? That ought not to be. What does that say to a non-believer? What does that say to a non-believer? I'll tell you what it says to a non-believer. It says exactly what David says in the psalm. It says, they'll rejoice in my failure. They'll rejoice in my weakness. The enemy will rejoice in my inability to seek God. So we have to then seek God with all our heart. My face I will seek and my face yours I will seek. Rejoice in his presence. Amen? Challenging, eh? Let me read the prayer again because it's, it's much more fitting now. I'm just going to read the second half of the prayer. Great was thy wisdom in devising this means of salvation. Bathe my soul in rich consolations of thy resurrection life. Great was thy grace in commanding me to come hand in hand with thee to the Father, to be knit to him eternally, to discover in him my rest, to find in him my peace, to behold his glory, to honour him who is alone worthy, and given me the spirit as teacher, guide, power, and this bit is the end, the bit at the end, that I may live repenting of sin, conquer Satan, find victory in life, when thou art absent, all my sorrows are here, when thou art present, all my blessing, all your blessing is mine. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.